A reading from the prophet Jeremiah, the first chapter. We'll be beginning with the fourth verse. Well, I'm going to go ahead and begin with the first verse. That's what I originally planned to do. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of King Josiah, son of Ammon of Judah, and in the thirteenth year of his reign. It also came in the days of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I'm only a boy. For you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot tilted away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall break out on all the inhabitants of the land. For now I am calling all the tribes of the kingdom of the north, says the Lord. And they shall come, and all of them shall set their thrones at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its surrounding walls and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them. For all their wickedness in forsaking me, they have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, gird up your loins, stand up and tell them everything that I have commanded you. Do not break down before them, or I will break you before them. And I, for my part, have made you today a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So last week we heard... Another chance to hear a call story. To reflect on the possibility that maybe we're called 
somehow by God to do something that might matter in our lives. So today you get another chance to hear the sequel. Number two. Last week on the way out, Mike Jones said, was talking about that call story. And he said, you know, preacher, that, that call of Jeremiah is a good story too. And I said, we, Mike, you're right. We might hear that next week. And it was fitted in my heart last week when Mike said that. Well, maybe we should hear the prophet Jeremiah's call. Because just like Samuel, he had excuses. He had a built-in chance to turn back. Samuel's just a boy, and he doesn't yet know the Lord. He doesn't know what to do. So he needed Eli, didn't he? He needed Eli to come along and not be the perfect priest, not be the guy that's got it all together, just be someone who had the wisdom to say, maybe it's the Lord. Turn your face to God, Samuel, and hear what he has to say. And I thought, Mike's right. Jeremiah is the next thing because Jeremiah also has a good complaint against God. I can't do that. I'm just a boy. Right off the bat, he goes to the one thing that people would criticize him and say, we're not going to hear you because of this. And that is very often what limits people from being able to be effective as disciples of Jesus. Because we look at our weaknesses and think that's all that we are. We look at our drawbacks. We look at our deficiencies. And think that somehow Christ can't use us. But there's this old saying that he uses murderers like Moses. He uses prostitutes. He uses liars. Like Jacob. If he can use murderers and liars and prostitutes, adulterers, if he can use a cold hearted killer like David, why can't he use you? I think every biblical hero there is could have stood before God and said, God, you know that about me. I can't be who you want me to be. The prophet's job is to change the people's perception, not just of God, but of themselves. I'm sure that the people didn't realize how horrible they were being. They probably thought they were doing everything right. Remember the Pharisees and Sadducees that Jesus argued with? They didn't think they were doing anything wrong. They thought the Son of God was wrong. The prophet comes along to change the mind of the people. To turn the people's hearts back to God. To turn the people toward following God. What a prophet does is reshapes reality. My wife was a prophet to me just last week. Y'all want to hear that story? Our neighbors have moved out. And they have left their automatic floodlight on. Y'all know what those are? They come on after dark. That thing has been flashing all night long, on and off. Now, I've been worried about the house burning down. Because I started thinking about the wiring and the thing being loose. Or 
Maybe the daylight sensor's gone bad. It's going to overheat. It's going to set the vinyl on fire. House is going to burn down. It's going to be horrible. Maybe I should go fix it. And then I think, well, if I go try to fix it, it might really burn down. So Samantha and I were talking about that thing, and she called it the Silent Hill light. Now, Silent Hill is one of them early 90s horror movies that you couldn't pay me enough money to go see. And ever since then, when I've been out in the yard at night working on my boat, putting rods and stuff in the boat, and that light starts flashing, I start feeling myself in a hurry to get back in the house. (laughs) You hear what I'm saying, church? She reshaped my perception of that light by suggesting something that I know is silly and not true, right? It's not going to happen. There's not going to be some zombie going to come out of that house and get me or somewhat. I don't know what Silent Hill was about, and I am never going to know. Huh? A bat flying by? No, it was worse than that because it it scared teenagers. If it scared teenagers, I don't need to see it. But that reshaped my thinking about that light. And now every time I'm out in the yard last night and that thing is flashing, I'm saying, I got to hurry. They're going to get me. A prophet reshapes perception. I will never look at that light the same again. Now, these people thought they could get one over on God and do whatever they want, and God is about to send Babylon to show them that that's not the case. And the perception of the people is going to change. And so Jeremiah comes along to tell them, look, here's what's going on. It's time to repent. It's time to move on. And they're given chance and chance and chance and chance. Jeremiah is filled with those sorts of things. It's a book that over the arch of its shape, it has and it calls for repentance. It has his announcements of judgment that's coming so that the people could turn and not be judged. It has pronouncements against the nations that God is going to use to judge them. Not only that, but eventually, toward the end, in chapter 31, Jeremiah tells that it won't be the end, that no matter how bad it gets, that God will make a new covenant, write the laws of God on their hearts, and they will be God's people. That no matter what, God will reclaim them. That's His work as a prophet to say to them, you have left God behind. God is going to judge you, but God's not going to give up on you. He's there to reshape their perception of God. To reshape their perception of themselves. To reshape their everything they think about what's going on in the world at that time. That's what I was thinking about when the bishop from the AMEZ church that's based here in Rock Hill got up and preached this text. And when she got up and preached this text, I said, yep, that's what I'm preaching Sunday. And she used this for the ordained, for those people entering into licensed ministry, for all those people who were going into churches to remind them that you're not sent into the church to stand in the front of the church and say, God can't use me because I'm a fill-in-the-blank. And I thought, clergy need to hear that word. But so do lay people. What if today God wants you to hear the possibility that God can use you despite whatever it is you think that prevents God from using you? You ever known somebody who was lame or seen somebody who had a, a dog that had gone lame or something like that? Y'all know what the word lame means still? All the teenagers say, yeah, it means dumb, right? Something stupid, you shouldn't do it. Now it's become different. Lame used to mean that you couldn't walk, right? I read a story this week in some reading I'm doing. 
Let's see what page number that says. 125. I want to share it with you. Now, it's written as a true story, so I'm going to read it to you as a true story. This is a book by a fellow named Parker Palmer that's pretty respected uh, out there in the world, so it must be a true story. This is what he says. A story does not need to become a puzzle with a solution or a fable with a moral in order to do its problem-solving work in our lives. Telling a story expressively as an end in itself can contribute powerfully to our insight, healing, and enlivenment. The philosopher Martin Buber pointed to this power in a story about a story. And this is quoting Martin Buber. A story must be told in such a way that it can constitutes help in itself. My grandfather was lame. Once they asked him to tell a story about his teacher. And he related how his teacher used to hop and dance while he prayed. My grandfather rose as he spoke. And he was so swept away by this story that he began to hop and dance to show how the Master had done. From that hour on, he was cured of his lameness. That's how to tell a story. What occurs to me is that it's not just the clergy in the church that have that kind of story to tell. You have that kind of story. I asked you at the beginning of this service, are you still in love with Jesus? And what did you say? Is there anything better than telling stories about someone you love? About how someone you love has impacted your own life? What if like Martin Buber's grandfather, and what if like Jeremiah, you started doing a dance in front of the people in your life that showed them what it looks like to love and follow Jesus in this world. Despite whatever it is that you would hold up as a complaint to God and say, I can't do that because I'm old, because I'm young, because I'm rich, because I'm poor, because I'm gay, because I'm straight, because I'm this, because I'm that, because whatever the push-button issue is of the day. What if you left that behind? What if you stop telling yourself that you can't be used by God because you used to be this? You used to be a liar. You used to be impure. You used to think impure thoughts. You used to do this. You cheated somebody. You, maybe you've even killed somebody and we don't know about it. I don't know, but you know what? God can use you anyway. And if you start telling the story of what Christ has done in your life, you might find yourself standing in front of people dancing a dance of life that they can see and believe instead of being lame in your own heart and thinking that you're useless to God. And when the bishop was preaching, I thought to myself, Mike is right. We need to hear that story. We need to hear the story of a little boy who changed the heart of his people. Because he believed that God could use him. Now there's this other side to that story that's in there. God, when he says, I'm just a boy, God says, don't say you're just a boy, but you shall. I can tell you from my own life, dear one, if you've ever been felt called to ministry and you felt like that was legitimate, you might as well get on with it. 
you will get run down. The hound of heaven is relentless. But I will also tell you that if you know that there's something out there that you're gifted for, if there's a need in the world that meets your heart, if there's a person in the world that's struggling and you have a depth of hurt in your heart for them and you have an inkling of something that could be done about it, chances are God might be saying to you, go and dance in front of them. Go and tell the story so that you're lifted up in front of them. That might sound foolish. But we exist in a tradition that exists because that happened to John Wesley. You see, early in his ministry, Wesley was convinced that he wasn't really a Christian, that he was an ordained preacher who didn't really believe, that he didn't really have faith because of something that happened to him. And he saw how other people reacted And he was astounded. He was in a ship that was battered by a storm. And he saw these Moravian Christians who were praying and singing to God. And he was terrified. And he felt like he must have been a faithless nothing. And someone gave him some advice. They told him, preach faith till you have it. And when you have it, preach faith. And we sit here today because of that advice. Because he heeded the call of God on his heart despite what he believed was true about himself. You might think that God can't use you because of fill in the blank. Whatever your blank is, take a moment and think of it. If God would appear to you in a dream tonight and say, I'm sending you to do this, you would say, I can't because I'm fill in the blank in your mind. What I want you to know, dear ones, is that it's a lie. That if God is calling you to do something, God will make a way for it to be done. No matter what. And somebody's life could be impacted by that. The same way that the life of the nation of Israel was impacted by the prophet Jeremiah. We still read him, don't we? Thousands of years later, We read His story and read His words. Words given to Him by God. You, not just the clergy, but the lay people of the church, you are invested in a story that has the power to turn the world upside down. It's already done it once. You are part of a story of love that has the power to make the most hate-filled person become new again. You have on your lips The truth that God loves no matter what. You have in your own heart shed into your life by the Holy Spirit of God the love of God Himself. The power is in you. 
to change lives. It's a calling, dear one. It doesn't have to mean that you end up in a big white robe looking like a puffy cloud on Sundays. It can just mean that you decide to owe who you are, to own who you are when you're in your workplace. When you're in a restaurant and see someone eating by themselves. When a chance is put before you to do something for someone else. To own who you are in Christ and not make excuses. This, dear ones, is another chance to hear God's call on your life to be a disciple. It's true that in John 3.16, Jesus said, whoever believes in me has eternal life. And I, I believe that with my whole heart. I wouldn't be standing here. But I also know that much more than he called people to believe, Jesus called people to follow and be disciples. The story of Jeremiah shows us that excuses for not following are just a waste of time. They ignore who we're really supposed to be. And they ignore the fact that we're supposed to dance in front of others like Martin Buber's grandfather got up and danced and told his story. How will you respond to God's call on your life? A couple generations before us taught us that our faith was a private matter, right along with our politics and everything else. They taught us that nobody wants to hear what we think about Jesus, that, that we're supposed to keep all that to ourselves and not talk about religion. I want you to know today that they were wrong. The world needs to hear your story. I encourage you not to reply, but I can't because I'm a... But to embrace the reality that because you were in Christ, whatever you were before, you are no longer. What you are now is a follower of the Lord of life. What you are now is a follower of the One who created all things. And the One who sends you to dance a dance of life in front of a dying world. My prayer is that you will answer that call. And I promise you that I will dance with you. So once again this week, we're going to conclude our time together singing, Here I Am. My hope is that you will sing it prayerfully and hear God's invitation once again. Hymn number 593. Let us stand and sing.